yeah, well, this is the parable of the Good Samaritan. So, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. There we go. Good evening. It's so lovely to see you all this evening. Um, I'd love you to take out your mobile phone for me. And I want you to text. This is my mobile phone number here. If you've not got your church leader's mobile number, this is the perfect time to save it in your phone for those emergencies that you need. I'd love you to take out your mobile and I want you to text me what you are doing tomorrow at 11 a.m. Now, if what you're doing at 11 a.m. is not that interesting, but what you're doing at 12 noon or 1 in the afternoon is just a little bit more interesting, text that in, okay? All I want to know is what is it you are essentially doing tomorrow at one of the peak times of your day? Are you traveling? Are you in a meeting? Are you going shopping? Are you cleaning the windows? Um, all of that kind of stuff. Just text me a little sentence and send it to, to my mobile phone. Uh, that will be, there we go, coming through already on my way to the dentist. Brilliant. That's great. Wonderbar. Fab. It is so lovely to see so many of you uh, in the building uh, this evening. If you've not, if this is your first Sunday back since lockdown. Warm, 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 warm welcome. If you're visiting us this evening, warm, 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 warm welcome. Uh, if you've got any recommendations on how we can make church better at, in this kind of setup, any ideas, then please do just kind of let us know. It's a work in progress and we are fiddling and fiddling and fiddling, so do let us know. But since we came back in September, and we'd planned this all the way at, at the beginning of the year, is it would take September to look at worship. And it felt like it was a really good thing to continue to do in the light of kind of restarting church in, in September because we can end up idolizing 
uh, worship. We can end up thinking church has to be in a particular form or the way we do church has to be in a particular form. And we wanted to ask the question, you know, what is it that God is actually wanting from us in our adoration and our worship to him? So we took a kind of a, a path uh, in, through the Bible, looking at what is worship. And we started from Romans 12, and we looked at this verse here. In view of God's mercy, what we're we talking about, there is only one God, uh, and there is only one God who died for his people. There is only Jesus who died and rose again. There are many that have claimed to be God, but at the end of the day, the tomb for them is full. It's got a body in it. But the tomb for Jesus is empty in view of the mercy of Jesus dying for each individual. If they accept him or not, the mercy of God is that he dies for them so that they can be accepted by him. And in view of the mercy and grace of God, Paul says, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. He doesn't say, say sing more songs. He doesn't say uh, worship has to look in this particular way. I like this. You need to do guitars, not organs. He doesn't do any of that stuff. God loves the organ and incense and robes as much as keyboards and guitars. Okay? There is no grading in God's mind over what kind of worship is more important to him. Other than what God is looking for is worship that involves living sacrifices. It involves our entire beings and our entire bodies. In other words, God is more interested in how you worship him Monday through Saturday than he is what you do on a Sunday. He does not mind which church you go to with which style of worship. What he's interested in is what does it look like at 11 o'clock on a Monday morning for you? How do you worship him Monday through Saturday, living your life as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is the true and proper worship that God wants. He wants you to be able to worship him with all that you've got Monday through Saturday, whatever you're doing, whoever you're hanging out with. He wants you to be living your life as this act of worship. Then we looked at this brilliant little bit from Amos. It's one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. And he said that God was speaking to his people. Now, his people got very excited about dancing and very loud music and tambourines and harps and all that kind of stuff. And all of this stuff of worship had distracted them from what God was really wanting from them. So he says, away with the noise of your songs. I've had enough of your singing, he says. I'm done with your singing. I will not listen to the music of your harps. And then he goes on to say, what the Lord requires is justice, mercy, compassion. The worship that God wants from us is not singing, although it's good to sing. Singing is actually about more for us than it is for God. It's about us adoring him with, with these beautiful words. But what God is wanting is justice, mercy, and compassion. That's what God is after. And then last week, we had a little think about what does it mean to worship an idol in our lives when we put something in the middle of our lives that's more important to us than God himself. So that's the journey that we've been walking through, thinking about worship. I want to ask you this question. What is your worship made of when life gets tough, when time is short, and you're faced by an enemy? What does your worship look like when time is short and you're faced by an enemy? What does it then look like? It's maybe easy to worship when we've got lots of time on our hands. For the moment that time is taken away from us, how does your worship look? 
And the story that we had read to us this evening is, is nothing more than a story, okay? This is the key thing. Uh, you can overthink it. It is a story that's based in a real location, though. And it's based on a road running from Jerusalem to Jericho or Jericho to Jerusalem. It goes both ways, okay? And it is an incredibly narrow road. And the reason that Jesus picks on this road is because it is really comical to talk about it because it really is an incredibly narrow road, okay? So here we have some, some guy, I don't know who this is, and he's walking the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. In places, it's a meter wide. In some places, it's nothing more than a couple of feet wide. And this is where Jesus places uh, this story. So it's a real-life location, but it is a story, so we're not to completely overthink it. We're not to go and find out who was the Samaritan and who was the man in the road. They're characters, okay? They're fictitious characters that we made up for the purpose of this story. And this story is a story that is designed like any diamond, like any gem. If you get yourself a diamond and you turn it, every time you turn the diamond, the light reflects through it differently. And with one of Jesus' stories, these parables, every time you turn it, you're meant to see something different. And there's a danger when a church leader says, this is what this story means. This is what Jesus meant when he told this story. The moment anybody tells you they fully understand these stories, they have missed the point of a parable. The whole point of a parable is you keep turning it and turning it, and God and his spirit will keep showing you something new and something new and something new. So some people say this story is about finding out who your neighbor is. Some people say this story is about challenging systemic racism. And I would say amen to that one. The original story that Jesus tells, he'd stolen it from somebody else. We often think Jesus is one of the greatest storytellers, isn't he? He's also one of the greatest thieves. Jesus was a rabbi who taught stories that were told by other rabbis. And there's this beautiful uh, version of the same story as the Good Samaritan told by rabbis a generation before Jesus. He steals it. But what Jesus does is he takes the story and he twists the end. And it's the end that turns it into a story about racism. The original story had a priest, a Levite, and a Jewish layman. Just a regular church goer. And Jesus takes that character out. And he puts in a character that the Jewish people absolutely hated. In fact, they couldn't even use the name Samaritan very often. They hated it so much. At the end of the Good Samaritan story, you'll notice when Bobby read it, he simply says, Jesus says, who's your neighbor? And the man says, the one who helps the man. Couldn't even say Samaritan. That's how much they hated them. So yes, the Good Samaritan story is a story of racism. Jesus is poking at the Jewish people saying, don't be so racist. Your enemy might actually end up being your savior. So yes, the Good Samaritan is a story about changing systemic racism. It's a story about who are you going to be? Are you going to be somebody who turns a blind eye, who neglects justice and mercy and compassion? Or are you going to be somebody that lives out justice, mercy and compassion? So there's so many different ways that you can look at this story. And we're going to do that tonight. We're going to turn the story uh, yet again, I mean, raise your hand if you've heard the story of the Good Samaritan before. Raise your hand. Like, it is one of the greats, isn't it? Jesus had like, top 10 stories. It'd be right up there with the prodigal son. Okay? But we can turn it and keep learning, keep seeing things in this story. So that's what we're going to do uh, this evening. I'm going to pray, and then we'll just reapproach uh, this story again. So you might want to, uh, as I pray, say, Lord, I want you to speak to me this evening. Uh, Show me something, uh, point something out that you want me to hear.
uh, tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the inspiration of this incredible story. And boy, Lord, does Jesus tell a good story. Uh, the danger of the story, Lord, is it stays on a page. It's something that children should read. But Lord, this is a story for each and every one of us to see ourselves in. So Lord, we pray, Holy Spirit, reveal something to us this evening about what you want from us in view of your great mercy and your death for us on the cross, that perfect sacrifice. I pray that in the powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. And all the saints said, nice. So here we go. This is the uh, middle section of that story. Uh, a man was going on down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. That original story that I mentioned a minute ago that the rabbis used to teach, there was, there was one other difference between the original story and Jesus' story. The original story was set in the morning. How do we know it was the morning? Because in the original version, they were walking from Jericho to Jerusalem. Jesus flips it round. So if they were walking from Jerusalem to, Jer sorry, Jericho to Jerusalem in the morning, they're now walking home at the end of the day. So shift is over. So that sense, I've got to get to work, I've got to get to work. This is at the end of the day now. So they're on their way home. So Jesus has changed it. They really do have a bit more time on their hands. It's kind of what Jesus is, is showing in this. So a man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. And while then he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and he went away, leaving him half dead. We're told then that a priest happened to be going down the road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side, at which point you meant to chuckle. Oh, this is so comical, Jesus. And it would have been originally, because you'd have all known that he's talking about that road that's only feet wide. There is no way you could cross the other side. So it's meant to be funny. Jesus is using a bit of humor. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed the other side. So two, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw the man, he passed by on the other side also. But a Samaritan. At this point, they'd have all been ready for him to have said the Levite. And when Jesus says Samaritan, everybody in the crowd would have booed. Boo! How could you do that? Like you're changing the story. It's like the story of um, three pigs. I was going to say three wise pigs for a moment. Three pigs. Like you, you know how the story ends. It's pretty graphic. And if you're trying to change it, you go, no, that's not the story. And they'd be going, well, you've changed the story, Jesus. The Samaritan shouldn't be here. So, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. When he uh, saw him, he took pity on him. In fact, the Greek word there is not pity at all. It's his heartbroken. He's absolutely aching in the heart because of what he's seen. Did the priest ache in the heart? Did the Levite ache in the heart? No. In fact, they were so frustrated to even see the guy they crossed to the other side. Only the Samaritan was aching in the heart. And when he went to him, he bandaged his wounds and poured on. What's it say? Oil and wine. Poured out oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and he brought him into an inn and they had to took care of him. This bit here, oil and wine, should jump out at you. I, that's a little detail that we are given that is significant. Uh, the, the problem is we're not Jewish and we don't go to the temple in Jerusalem for sacrificial worship. So we almost pass by this little nudge, nudge, wink, wink in here because the priest 
and the Levite, where had they just been? The temple in Jerusalem. What were the things that they used for worship in the temple in Jerusalem? Well, there's many things. They had a massive altar. They'd place animal sacrifices on that altar. And they would uh, cover that sacrifice in oil. And they would do that uh, seven times as a symbol of anointing and God's mercy. Seven is a symbol of mercy. So the oil was about um, the sacrifice being anointed. They would then take out wine. Wine, I'll explain it to you in a minute. It was about the forgiveness of sins. They would put the uh, wine on the four corners of the altar. And then they'd set the, kill the sacrifice and set it on fire. They are the two items they needed for temple worship. And who uses it? A Samaritan. This is a clue in their text. The clue here is these two guys have been in the temple proclaiming to worship God. But when it comes to a moment of worshiping God in the streets, not the temple, they fail to do so. There is no mention of oil and wine. But the one man that is the outsider knows exactly how to worship. He takes out the oil and he takes out the wine. And it's the oil and wine that indicates to us that this is, a, is an act of worship. It's like a clue or some code. Now, you've got a little bottle that you were given this evening. In that bottle, you have got some uh, oil and you've got some wine. Okay, this is the best socially distanced way of me being able to put something in your hands. Okay, so I want you to keep this in your hands because this oil and wine is going to be a metaphor for us this evening about you and your worship. In a little while, I'm going to get you to anoint your hands with the contents of that bottle, if you're comfortable. But I also want you to take it home, and I want you to put it wherever you work, either on your desk at work, or you put it in your bedroom on the window ledge as a symbol and sign. How am I going to choose to worship? How am I going to choose to worship? So what I'd like to do is just explore with us for a few moments these two things, the oil and the wine. Why is it they should jump out at us? Why is it they should jump out at us? If you were an avid Book of Leviticus reader, as I know many are at All Hallows, you love reading the Bible right from the Book of Leviticus, uh, the beginning of the Bible. There's this little passage which would help us, and it just says this. This is Leviticus 2. When anybody brings, and you could just add in here a sacrifice or an act of worship, when anybody brings in a grain offering or an act of worship or a sacrifice before God to the Lord, their offering is to be of the finest flour, because it's grain, but of the finest. Whatever you're sacrificing to God, make sure it's the best. Don't give God any crap. It says then that they will pour on olive oil on it and they put incense on it and take it to Aaron's son, the priests. The priest shall take a handful of the flour and the oil together with all of the incense and burn this as a memorial portion on the altar, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to God. Leviticus said, if you're giving an act of worship on the altar to God, make sure you douse it with oil. And they started this practice of dousing it seven times. You know, seven is the, the perfect number. They wanted to make sure that God knew that their worship was perfect. So they'd put seven times seven amounts uh, on, uh, of oil on the sacrifice. This is a picture message. So I want you to think this story that Jesus is giving, when he mentions the oil and wine, it's meant to transport you to the temple in Jerusalem and this perfect sacrifice. 
You're meant to start already recognizing what the Samaritan is doing is exactly what the priests in the temple were doing only moments ago when they left. It then says in Psalm 23 verse 5, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. The Psalms are full of these pictures of oil being poured over someone's head. as this, this act of anointing. What is anointing? Anointing is when you put something to one side and say, this is important. I want it to be blessed by God. So I take this oil of blessing and I either pour it on the person or pour it on the thing because I want God's blessing to be on it. Whenever you would sprinkle that oil on the sacrifice, it was saying, God, notice the sacrifice. I want it to be perfect for you. I want you to see it as an act of worship. So the oil was used to consecrate and anoint people and sacrifices. Here we've got another one. So this is from Ezekiel. This is a prophecy. And I want you to notice just the kind of shadows or the, just the mimicking of the story of the Good Samaritan in this. Uh, I think if G- you hear Jesus telling the story of the Good Samaritan, this is what you would kind of have in mind, this prophecy from Ezekiel. I bathed you with water and washed the blood from you. I put oil on you. I clothed you uh, with an embroidered dress and put sandals of fine leather on you. I dressed you in fine linen and covered you with costly garments. Here we have God anointing somebody who is bleeding. And he's uh, anointing, making holy, making pure, giving the finest robe and dress onto that individual. This is actually a metaphor for what was going to become the church. Jesus taking this bloody bride, cleansing her up, anointing her with oil, putting a fresh robe on her. This is what God wants to do with his people. He wants to take us from being a mess and he wants to cleanse us and he wants to anoint us with oil. This is the picture. So when they hear the story of the Good Samaritan, well, that's what God does. God is in the business of taking us at the roadside when we're a bloody mess, cleaning us up, anointing us with oil and taking us and getting us clean, sorted, and well-dressed. This is the business of God. And this is kind of the the image that you have in the story of the Good Samaritan. So here you have this incredible picture, uh, symbols of the importance of oil. So let me just kind of remind you, the oil was used to consecrate. The oil was used as a symbol of mercy. uh, And it was also a symbol of consecration. And it was something that was done on people, but it was also done onto sacrifices. So all of this imagery should be taking you to this is about an act of worship. So let's just quickly look at wine for a moment. It's not a very long sermon this evening. Uh, let's just look at wine for a moment. So wine has a symbol. And this kind of represented a whole bunch of stuff. Firstly, it was about forgiveness. When you gave a sacrifice, the blood from the animal would come out. And wine, because it was red, was, was seen as a picture of that blood sacrifice. The blood sacrifice was about forgiving, forgiveness of sins. It was about the cleansing. Uh, so when uh, they drank wine as Jews, it was always about remembering the cleansing and the forgiveness of God. In the uh, Passover meal, the seven cups that they drink. And they're all symbolizing the forgiveness of God. The second is around protection, the picture of wine in protection. In the Exodus story, in fact, if you want to look it up, Exodus 12, 7, God tells his people, death is coming. They were slaves in Egypt. And God said to his people, 
Take a spotless lamb, sacrifice it to me, and take its blood and paint it on the doorposts of the home as a symbol and sign that death is not welcome. Your home is consecrated and it is protected by me. So in the same way, the blood of the spotless lamb, wine was a symbol of that blood. It was a symbol of God's protection. And then the final picture that we have of wine in the uh, scriptures is if you were getting engaged, the way you would do it is you would go to her home with a father and uh, mother there. You would take out a goblet of wine. You would drink from that wine and you would say, will you marry me? You would kind of sip from the wine. You'd pass it to her. And if she was willing to take the cup, not passing it, but taking it and drinking from it, it was a way of her saying, I'm in. Which is kind of what happens in communion. Christ's death, we get given the cup of communion. The question is, do I choose to receive his grace? Am I saying yes to all that God has for me in the Eucharist? So wine is about forgiveness, it's about protection, and it's about a binding contract. So Jesus tells a story. And in the story, the guy that none of us likes is the guy that takes out the oil and the wine. He's the one who uses the oil and wine, not in the temple in Jerusalem, but in the street. The Samaritan is the one who knows how to worship properly. Samaritan is the one who brings the temple worship and brings it right into the streets. And this is why I want us to look at this story this morning. We can think, gosh, those priests, they do an amazing job in the temple. They do this incredible job with the sacrifices. Priests are important people, aren't they? They're holy people. But yet the story that Jesus teaches us here is actually the priests haven't got it. They've, they've totally missed the point. And it's a man in the street who sees a man in need. And he takes up the oil and he takes up the wine. And he anoints him and he pours wine on his, on his body. It's in that we're told the Samaritan really knows how to worship. The Samaritan, the one who shouldn't understand, the one who, put that back in my bag for a moment, the one who is a dirty Samaritan, but yet we're told in the story, this is the dude that knows how to worship properly. I want to try and take this story for a moment, and I want to bring it right into Bo. Yesterday, there was a guy at the bus stop. The guy at the bus stop, we don't know who he is, but somebody has attacked him. And he's slumped up against the bus stop. And he, he's bleeding. He's obviously in a real mess. Before he was attacked, he was absolutely starving. He was probably a homeless guy. He had not had a meal to eat during the day, and somebody mugged the guy. Reverend Becky, she's coming back from the supermarket. And as she's coming down the street yesterday, she clocks the guy at the bus stop. She looks at the guy, and she looks at her watch, and she goes, British Bake Off's on in a little while. I ain't got time to sort this guy out. Do you know what? If I cross to the other side of the road, slip in through the gate, he won't have seen me. Nobody knows I'm going to get away with it. So Reverend Becky, she crossed, that's my wife, by the way. She crosses the road, she goes in the gate, she comes in the house, she enjoys Great British Bake Off, and she's very content and happy. Friends, it's not a problem. Don't get concerned too quick, because assistant pastor Raf, now Raf's coming. Now, Raph's a good guy, isn't he? he he's going to sort out this problem. And he's coming the opposite direction. He's walking down the street. He's on the same road as the bus stop. He clocks the guy, slumped up at the bus stop. He looks at his watch. Great British Bake Off's on in a little while. And seriously, Raph, in lockdown, didn't you get into baking big time? Like, 
He's far too gangster to become a baker, but um, banana cakes, banana bread became his, his big thing in lockdown. Can't, I can't help the guy at the bus stop. I've got to get Iron Great British Bake Offs on. Like, Matt, whatever his name is, taken over now. It's going to be good, it's going to be good. So, Raph, what's he do? He crosses to the other side of the road, slips by, guy doesn't see, and he goes home. Oh, didn't spot me. I'm happy. But then there's this refugee guy who is probably a Muslim, actually. He's walking down the street and he clocks the guy at the bus stop. He gets down on his knees and he's just heartbroken for the guy in the street. He can see that he's in some pain. He can also see that he's incredibly hungry and taking out his satchel, he takes out some bread and some wine. And with the bread, he feeds him. And with the wine, he pours it over the wounds to sterilize them. Who is the one that really worships? Now, when I tell you that story, what does the bread and wine symbolize? It's communion. It's the Eucharist. Christ's body broken and blood poured out for the healing of the nations. That's exactly how they would have responded when they heard this original story. They'd have heard oil and wine, and the first thing they'd have jumped to was, hang on, temple worship. The priest and the Levite should have known best. But actually, it's the Samaritan that they couldn't even mention his name. Now, he's the one who knows how to worship. And that's the challenge of the story of the good Samaritan. The Samaritan worshipped on the road, not in the temple. Or you can say it like this. The Samaritan brought the temple to the men. You've been given this little bottle of oil and wine and... I want to ask you the question. If Jesus is truly more interested in your Monday through Saturday than your Sunday, what does worship look like for you Monday through Saturday? I asked you to text me just telling us what kind of things you're doing tomorrow at 11 o'clock. I'm working on writing up a roundup article for an online event that happened on Friday finishing a book on deliverance ministry out of personal theological interest. Somebody's looking for points there. <laughs> Just finishing a prayer meeting on a ward at the Royal London Hospital. Journaling with my sister-in-law over FaceTime. I'm having to evaluate if we need to make people redundant designing a lighting strategy for a rich man's house. I'll be at home. I'll be participating on an online course. I'm going to have coffee with a good friend of mine. Tea and cake, hopefully. I'll be working in the malaria lab on a Zoom call with an adopted parent hoping to go to the cafe. I'll be studying. I'll be in yet another work meeting. I'll be teaching maths. I'll be in a team meeting. I'll be dealing with apples and making apple pie. I'm playing tennis. I'll be on my way to the dentist. I'll be at uni. I'll be visiting my elderly mother going to the supermarket, avoiding careless, non-mask-wearing people. I'll be on the train heading to a meeting for work. 
you're on the road, Jerusalem to Jericho, Jericho to Jerusalem. Your life is on a journey this week, some at a computer, some at a desk, some visiting some wealthy man who needs some lighting. Some of you are in labs, medical centers. Some of you are at home. Your, this is your road. And the challenge for each of us is, how are you going to worship Jesus in that place tomorrow? Jesus is more interested in your 11 o'clock than your 6 o'clock on a Sunday night. It really, really does. Why? Because he actually cares a heck of a lot about you. And the question is, what's your oil and wine? What is your oil and wine? For some of us, it's money. That could be a penny or a 50-pound note. And some of us, our money is our resource, and we can use that to worship God. Some of us, it's a hammer or electrical equipment. Some of us, our oil and wine is our scissors, our haircutting scissors. Some of us, our oil and wine is our words of encouragement. Some of us, our mobile phone, as we ring up somebody and check in and see how they're doing. Some of us, it's been able to give a gift of food to somebody. Some of us, it's about family support, caring for somebody's medical needs. Some of us, it's about helping people learn English. Some of us, it's about helping people learn computer literacy, being generous with the very resources that God has given us. We've got all these resources to our hands. What's in your satchel? If what was in the Samaritan satchel is oil and wine, what is your oil and wine? What is it? In a minute, I want you to uh, offer it to God and I'm uh, going to encourage you, if you're willing, just to anoint your hands with it. One of the ways we want to worship in uh, the next month as a church, as we kind of build up, we're going to be like this at least till Easter, by the way, guys, for sure, for sure, for sure. So how are we going to continue to worship God, not just on a Sunday, but throughout the week? One of the uh, ways we want to kick this off next week is about uh, at Fern Street Settlement, our community center. We have a food bank. We're building some shelves in there. We also partner with Tower Hamlets Food Bank in giving uh, kind of leftovers um, from, from things in St. Mary's Bowen. But what we want to do is, is restock the food bank at All Hallows because during lockdown, we've been giving away a heck of a lot of the resources that we've got. We want to kind of build that back up so we can continue to be generous. These are the items we specifically need. If it's not on this list, question if we need it. So baked beans, for example, is a definite no-no. Like we are stockpiling baked beans. Uh, people don't eat baked beans. Uh, you think they do, but they don't. When did you last have a tin of baked beans for your dinner? Well, unless you're a ch child, it's very rare you eat baked beans. So baked beans is, please no baked beans. So they're the kind of items. And then the other kind of things we're after is washing detergent and powder, nappies, baby wipes, and baby food. Uh, baby food pouches. That's the kind of stuff over the next month we would love you to bring to church. It's like a harvest festival, okay? When you arrive next week, there's going to be a black cart, four wheels cart uh, by the door. We want you to put those items in the cart and uh, we're going to be able to then wheel it in, pray over it, and then wheel it out and quarantine it before we then can get it up to Fern Street, okay? So that's, that's the plan. And we're going to do that over the next month we're going to add into that other things. So one of the things we're going to add in the next couple of weeks is the things that we need for the homeless outreach. So we're going to add stuff in, okay? So as time goes by, we're going to say, right, we want a bit of this, but we want more of this now. So we want to learn how to be generous with what God has resourced us with. Uh, what is your oil and what is your wine? If you're already thinking now, I need to plan ahead, Chris, 
what kind of stuff could I be getting for the homeless outreach? Just to make it clear, we're going to be asking for winter coats, hats, gloves, scarves, and woolly socks. If you're at a supermarket, you see those. You can be comfortable to buy those. Not fashion uh, scarves, but like, yeah, thermal scarves. So do you want to take your oil in your hand? Emma's going to come and lead us uh, in a little bit of uh, a bit more worship as we end. I want to encourage you to, to uh, spend a moment in quiet. What is it that God has generously blessed you with that you can offer to him as your act of worship? This is my oil and wine, Lord. When you are ready, if you take the top off, you can uh, put a little bit on your finger. You can anoint your hands with it. What I'd love you to then do is put the top back on so we don't spill it. But I want you to be able to take that little uh, jar home with you and put it somewhere that you will see this week. So you can keep asking yourself, how do I worship the Lord today in what is my Jerusalem to Jericho? Let's just have a moment of quiet, then I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this beautiful act of worship by the Samaritan. God, we thank you. In this story, it's the enemy that teaches us how to worship, not the religious leader. Lord, what he had was his oil and wine. What we have is, is somewhat different. But Lord, we want it to be used as we live out being a living sacrifice. So God, as we kind of anoint our hands, we do so because we want to commit them to you and commission them and anoint them for whatever we're going to be doing this week as an act of worship. Father, would you focus our eyes on the Monday through Saturday? Would we see how to bring you into each encounter with each moment being a worship moment? Lord, we thank you with you. There's no sacred and secular. It's just all sacred. Every moment of our lives is sacred. So Lord, would you commission and anoint our hands for the work that you created us for. And Lord, this is the true and proper worship that you want from us. I pray this in the powerful name of your son, Jesus.